0: That's summer podcast. In the podcast, Welcome to the summer podcast with Raman Bharat that brings summer stories showing the limitless potential of every human leverage. This is our fifth episode and we have an amazing guest with us.
1: So Bharat, uh, do you want to introduce who it is? We have with us Vinod, the Chief Operating Officer of uh, Cisco CCBU, and the CEO of Cloud Cherry. Uh, we're here mainly to talk to Vinod about uh, the story of his Cloud Cherry and, you know, uh, his crazy journey from, uh, you know, being a sailor to coming to startups to getting acquired by Cisco. So, welcome, Vinod. Thank you so much for taking the time to join the Summer Podcast. Uh, welcome, Vinod. Welcome to Summer Podcast. Thank you
2: you no, build up put the thing, so try to, try to <laughs> fit the theme
1: Super. so let's get started vinod if you can give us a quick background about who's vinod you know where were you born brought up you know your schooling uh, upbringing value system uh, and you know uh, especially you know the intriguing part of your sailor days yeah
2: you know uh, my father was in the army uh, um, and you know i was uh, born in Pune, lived in the North all my life. Uh, I came to Chennai only in my 11th standard. So till, till I was 16, I had, I had very fleeting exposure to, uh, to South India, you know, summer breaks, we used to come down south, but i lived in the North. So Hindi is sort of my first language. And um, so, you know, all over the country, uh, spoke Hindi, English, Tamil at home, very, very liberal household. Long before I understood what intercaste was, my mother used to tell me, have an intercaste marriage. And and I'm like, what? so I when I was so young, I thought intercaste means within your caste. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> Very, I think, religious, but didn't impose religion on me, right? It really wanted me not to think about, like, like, break away from any identity around caste or language or any of those things. And it was really good because when I joined the merchant navy when I was 18, see, my brother's in the navy, father was in the army. So I joined the Merchant Navy and and I went around when I met new people, got new perspectives, uh, you know, it, it really enriched me. And when I came back and um, uh, I finally got married to uh, uh, Miriam, who's not Indian, she she's Dutch. Um, and the joke, of course, was that I was 12th past when I joined the Merchant Navy. So the chance that I'll get married in Chennai was zero anyway. So, <laughs> 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 if you're 12th past, you might as well not go into huh. the marriage market. So... So I also, uh, you know, I'm Hindu, Miriam's Protestant, but like, you know, we are together, been 12 years, we've never uh, worried, discussed or whatever on religion. So, you know, that's my upbringing in general, right? I'm not very dogmatic, uh, you know, love animals, huge believer in um, uh, preservation of nature and really don't hold any dogmatic uh, idea too strongly. Uh, That's essentially my definition, free flowing and open to new ideas.
0: So, Vinod, yeah, so you don't uh, hold on to any kind of dogmatic ideas, that's good. But from being a sailor in Merchant Navy to tech, so how does that switch uh, happen? How did that switch happen, Vinod?
2: You know, first it comes by by not boxing yourself in the dogma that you're a sailor, you can't be in tech. You know, so, uh, so, what happened was very interesting. So, in 2006, uh, uh, you know, I, I had three months on leave. And the, the fun side story is that I had broken up with my fiance, so you know I had three months of real joblessness when I came back on leave, and um, and my very close friend from school, Venkat, who's like a born entrepreneur, you know, he had started his new startup. I had three months of leave, so I just met met him and said, hey man, what are you doing? I'd love to, you know, I have three months, let learn what you're doing. So I met him, met his co-founder. Uh, and they told me what they were doing, they were doing something in fintech. I didn't understand most of it because I was coming out from sea. And you got to understand that when I came out from sea, then ships didn't really have internet. Like we had two times a day, you'd make a, a satellite connection and download um, email from, into a common inbox. That was the only connect to the outside world, right? Other than satellite telex or whatever. So you can imagine like you didn't know pop culture, you didn't know what was happening with the world, you're really disconnected with the universe, right? So when you come back and you see your 26-year-old friend, having started a tech startup when he's talking about FinTech, right? You you, you, you you, aren't really good with the concepts, but every, I just saw the energy and the enthusiasm in what he was doing. And by the end of the evening, I'm like, this is awesome, dude. Like, you know, this seems like a great thing. And he looked at me and said, would you want to join us? And I'm like, I wouldn't know what to do. And then next day we met for a long time. And then he said, you should come and join and head strategy for us. So I'm like, I have no idea what you do. I don't know how I do strategy for what you do but I know that business people make a lot of PowerPoint. And I told him, I don't know how to make PPT. He said, we have a guy who makes PPT. So I said, okay, that's good, I'll I'll join. So they don't understand. I knew so little about business and tech that my only hesitation to joining was that I didn't know how to make PowerPoint, right? Um, So with zero inhibition, I took a, a plunge and I had three months of leave. So I told him, look, at the end of three months, if things aren't working out, we'll shake hands between friends in good times, I'll go back to see, right? And I was using that as a three-month period to honestly just learn. Um, And he and his co-founder, who, by the way, helped me co-found my my own startup, um, taught me all that was about the markets and fintech in that period. And when the time came for me to go back to ship, I got a call. I was really enjoying what I was learning. It felt like an education I never had. And then I told my company that I'm not coming back to sea. And that three-month experiment went on for seven years. And that's how I went into, uh, went into tech. It was not thought through. It was, let's go with the flow and see what happens. I really started enjoying. Um, and the day I made my first presentation outbound to somebody else who had been in finance forever, and I didn't get asked, who are you? I said, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe this industry is good enough for me. And that's how I joined tech.
1: This was Inexus, right? The...
2: Inexus Technologies, which then was market simplified. And I think the current name is market simplified. But in technologies was it, and it was the greatest induction into tech and fintech and startup life and sales and everything. I hold dear today. I I learned then. It's just the best days of my life.
1: So it's amazing. Just seven years there, and it was like a, you know crash course on how to run a tech. This thing. Yeah. Super. So what happened at the end of seven years? You know, uh, how did you know the idea of Cloud Cherry get born and?
2: So, so, you know, the seven years obviously were a big learning experience for me, right? So I'll give a small example, like in 2008, I wanted to prospect, I was the only person in marketing and sales and pre-sales and any function to do with closing a deal, right? I was the only person. So in 2008, we wanted to sell to brokerages in the US. So if I had to sell to Bharadwaj, how do I find it? So 2008, my, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, all go back to 2008. right? Um, and, and then my point was, hey, and then I would look you up. So the whole thing around account-based marketing, targeted messaging, it was all born out of first principles, right? Because you said, why would you pay attention to my email in your inbox? It's only when I've researched you and I've crafted an email which looks like it is for you, right? So I came out of after seven years, essentially, my the reason I say that is I learned so many things by first principles, right? Financial markets, sales, mobile technology, the architecture of that is a very, very modern architecture, all of that. But then I th- thought maybe I was a frog in a well, right? You know what you know, and you don't know what you don't. And the only way to do that is to go out to the world and see. So I actually went to my cousin, Professor Shreera run Great Lakes Institute of Management in Chennai. And I asked him, should I do an MBA? Should I do an exec? And be like, what should I do to broaden my horizon? right? It's been seven years. And I genuinely think that I need to open up my mind. And, as, and he's someone I, I looked up to from the time I was a kid. He's unfortunately no more, but from the time I was a kid, I always looked up to him. So I said, tell me what I should do with my life. And when I went to him for that MBA conversation in a couple of weeks, the long story, I don't want to take too much time. The idea of cloud Cherry was being discussed in the background. And he said, why don't you come on board? And why don't we create a company? And why don't we do something with it? So my my only cheap thrill there was, hey, you've mentored thousands of MBAs and you want a non-MBA to be your co-founder and CEO. So <laughs> I found that pretty pretty uh, enticing. And I i mean, I would follow him with my eyes closed, right? Um, and it just seemed like something, um, uh, just to come to the idea, the reason I also loved what he said was, when when he started telling me what he had in mind, and we started, and he said, what do you think of it? I created a straw man of what I think, what I thought Cherry could be. And that's what ultimately became the company. And for me, the fundamental thing was, I was not from the domain, but i had been a consumer all my life. And And my thought was like, how many brands have your loyalty forever? I could not even name one, right? Some could name one, some could say name five. And yet companies are spending billions of dollars on marketing. So I generally felt that if companies truly understood what customers wanted and could invest in customer experience and understand what drives customers' willingness to buy more or recommend you or do more business with you, uh, that is at the heart of better effective marketing as opposed to just plastering, outbound messages with with movie stars. So that that's the resonance of thought with which Club Chiri was formed, that and nothing else really. And, and we started our company with that base thought.
0: Okay, Vinod. So other than Ram, what did other people tell you when you told them about your business plans and you're going to start a company? So what did other people tell in your family or your friends or, yeah, so.
1: You uh, already you company? left one nice paying merchant navy job and joined tech. Now yeah. you are leaving that and starting another company. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, I mean, my dad, I love him, you know, and, and you know, parents always have your best interest in their heart, right? I mean, they, they never, like, even in their worst moment, they can't, like, think uh, something that's not good for you. And, and Bharat, what you're saying is not a joke. My dad was like, hey, you would have become a captain in a year or two. I was a first officer, Right. Um, and he's like, that's and that's a USD high-paying job going to a startup. And you know, when you join a startup, you always say that you know everything leads to a billion dollars like tomorrow morning. And obviously, it doesn't happen tomorrow morning. So you know, people ask, okay, what's happening? Like, how come how come you've not become a billionaire yet? Um, and and that's just a manifestation of success. The point is, you know, I where where life is headed. So to your point, when I started my own thing. Um, Obviously, because my cousin was known, loved and respected, it was fine, but everyone was concerned, like, we're not from a business family, right? Uh, how will you raise money? Business is supposed to be ruthless, right? You need lots of capital. Uh, and in India, in general, you see, uh, business and all you think of it, most movie caricatures are six months later, you're selling your house, you're selling your jewelry, you know, your your partner cheated you, and you're on the street. Right. <laughs> so that worst case scenario plays out. So definitely, there was Nobody dissuaded me. My parents, when I wanted to marry someone from abroad, they didn't ask any questions. They didn't oppose it, right? Same here. They didn't oppose it to anything, but they were genuinely concerned. And the problem isn't when your parents are opposing what you're doing. The problem is when you're doing something that worries them, right? That's greater baggage, right? Um, So definitely there was that, but you'd be amazed that most of my friends, uh, you know, we ran out of money very fast because how we capitalized the company was so poor that we were out of money in a few months. From then, for the next six to 12 months, um, almost like um, like magic, some friend would come over for a drink or dinner and then say, oh, what, what's happening? I'd tell him, oh, I'm doing this. And then he'd be like, hey, listen, this seems really exciting. Can I invest in your company? And I'd literally write them long emails. I'd talk to them, of course, and say, what you're paying for is next month's payroll. That's all the money we have. After you pay for next month's payroll, I don't know how we will pay for next month's payroll. So if you want to put risk capital, please invest. If this is your kid's college money, please don't, right? So I found help from an encouragement from friends from unexpected quarters. My parents, even though they were really worried, they never dissuaded me from doing what I was doing, right? But that said, I'll leave you with this, is that if you have to be an entrepreneur, you have to hear a lot of no, which means a lot of people who said, you're the greatest guy in the world. When you went and asked them for five lakhs, they said "Uh, no or what, what are you signing as collateral against that and it's fine they're not doing anything wrong a lot of people tell you that this is a bad idea a lot of people tell you that you're not going to succeed and it's fine all of them are doing or saying what they think is right you know but I don't focus on the nose the, all these little signs of encouragement were enough for me to get along on my journey.
1: Awesome so i I would like to now like dig a little on the early days of Cloud Cherry, right? I mean, it's a beautiful, simple concept, you know, uh, because there's no, uh, uh, you know, simple and neat way, a scientifically uh, correct way that you guys, you know, formulated to capture customer feedback, and then pass it on directly to the people who actually can take some actions on it. That's my initial, you know, thoughts and memories I have of what Cloud Cherry did in a line, right? So... From, you know, the concept to taking it to clients, walk us through your early days, you know, how was it taking it to clients, finding first successes? And
2: there were a couple of things we believed in. First, you know, one of my co-founders, Vijay, I call him the sort of the spiritual uh, brain behind the, the idea. His thing, he had a great analogy. His analogy was, you know, 100, 200 years ago, if you had a restaurant, you had one restaurant, right? There were no chains of restaurant 200 years ago. So in your restaurant, you sat at the cash counter, you saw every guest coming in, you knew them, you knew when their uh, child got married, when their cow was sick, you know, that was CRM, right? Uh, You knew their experience then, if they had to wait or if they had to, you know, anything. When they're eating, you could see if they're happy, if they're not getting served, there was an altercation, right? And when it's, you know, so you had all the observational transactional data, and when they left, you had transaction. You could collect feedback, right? Hey, how was it? You know. Now, fast forward to n equal to hundred or thousand, or the scale is so large, right? How do you recreate the same ability to vicariously live your customer's journey in a modern world, right? In a modern omni-channel digital world, that was the idea. So when we built this idea, obviously you have to start small. I I got in a co-founder who was the co-founder of my previous startup to build out the technology. Another close friend of mine came in to run marketing. We created a small team and we had a team of three or four brilliant um, uh, first developers. And we had one other person who was the chief happiness officer, right? So that is a small motley crew, 10, 12 people who essentially in the first two months assume we put the team together. And, and with regards to taking it to, to, to customers, like we essentially promised just one thing. We said, look, what is it that matters to you? Does it matter to you what your customer's NPS is? What is what is the quantification of delight, right? Because if you can quantify it and you can measure it, then you can track it, you can analyze it, you can improve it, you can chip away at it, right? And everyone liked the idea of being able to, everyone believed in customer experience, but everyone thought it was too fluffy, right? Which is, oh, if your customers are happy, they'll spend more money. It seems logically, right? But if I ask you for uh, 10 lakh rupees, against that very fluffy promise, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know about it, right? But if I told you that, hey, I'll get your customers to come back 20% more, right? Or I'll improve your, reduce your churn by 20%, you can do the math and say, oh, that's worth X to me, right? Now you're willing to invest. So we imparted a lot of tangibility and we said, look, two things. One, be where the customer is, which is be omnichannel, be wherever the customer is present. Second, truly quantify it and work backwards on what you need to improve. Uh, in your customer experience, in order to make that needle moving impact on something very business related, right? Be very hard nosed about why you're investing in customer experience. And we found very early, we were very lucky that people liked that value prop, right? And not to say that it was easy to get money from people, but people still liked that value prop. Um, and, and we started in India, of course, um, and interestingly, a lot of businesses were looking at how do we invest in customer experience, a younger audience whose taste we don't know very well, um, so that's roughly how how we started going to market. But it was really friends, family, uh, like level one, level two. There was no structured marketing then. It really went in an expanding square, sort of a uh, search, wherein our network got us our first few days.
1: I I remember you used to send out these uh, newsletters, right, in which you would write verbose stuff, and I used to enjoy reading it back in those days because I was it was my initial startup days as well. Uh, And I remember in one of those things you had written that uh, I think it was just a few times where you had a tense moment about payroll processing, where you had a tight moment in one of the things specifically you mentioned, and you said, thank God, you know, after that, it has been pretty good. So, uh, you know, why I say that is I just want you to touch upon the finances of running a startup, right? You you had mentioned earlier that, you know, friends came, pitched in and all that, but then when did the real... Leap happened, you know, where you had enough churn and, you know, money coming in through sales where you could run your operations? Or was it a big uh, venture financing round that you had? Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure. So, first thing, if you have those emails, please forward them to me because I'll tell you what it was. All those emails were written impromptu, they were written single shot. And the only thing marketing is allowed to do was to spell check, right? I mean, sometimes when you type, you type some, some garbage. But none of the content or the message or even formatting could be changed because I, I, feel, I believe and I'm really happy to hear feedback that it should be from the heart, right? And we sent it out to uh, friends like you, people in the ecosystem, other founders, again, like you, um, well-wishers, investors, potential investors, employees, families, whoever, whoever because I think a, building a company is a very uh, it's a journey. And you need to take everyone along with you in that journey right and i thought a founder writing a letter not a newsletter but essentially a letter right from the heart and you're right it was uh, it was so that's why it didn't come on a schedule right so i'd be on a flight and i'd suddenly be like i have a thought right and i'd open up my laptop and i'll write it sometimes i've typed out the newsletter on my phone right because some thought came to me and i just put it together right So that's why I don't remember what I wrote. So please forward them to me. So I can also catalog it. But you spoke about building the company. So, one of my toughest moments, to be honest, was a month where I didn't have money, right? Didn't know where money is going to come from. Had 12, 14, whatever people in the company. I knew who had bills to pay, who had rent to make, who had a mortgage to service, who had money to send to their parents. I knew all of that, right? So, it weighs on you a little more heavily, right? Um, Then on second or third, when I knew money is not yet there, I had to mail out people and say, guys, we don't know it'll take till the 10th. Uh, And the next day for me to go to office was really difficult, right? Because I'm like, geez, I'm going to go to work and these guys are going to look at me and say, we trusted the wrong guy in the journey. And with great reputation, I went to work and I go to work and everyone's high energy, business as usual. Nobody's looking at me funny. Nobody tried to poison my coffee. And I'm like, look. These people are worth fighting for because, I mean, I'm the founder, so to speak, and some of them, I mean, they were all co-founders in a sense, but some of them, this is still a job, right? And the fact that they are willing to bear the, the, the burden of my journey means that you've got a really good set of people and it's worth fighting for, right? So the first year, year and a half was like that, right? And um, Sriram, I remember, connected us to the Chennai Angels. And I remember, I think December 2014, I, I forget, I'm very bad relative in terms of time. But um, I think in December, we pitched to the Chennai Angels um, and they really liked what they heard. And IDG Ventures is not charity. They were also sitting as observers in, in the Chennai Angels meeting. So as soon as the meeting got over, they came and said, I like the way they dealt with us. They said, hey, we will invest in you. We like your idea. Let's talk numbers and math, whatever, right? Um, and that afternoon, at least, in, in uh, I didn't know that sometimes people don't keep their word, but here people said something and they kept their word. So that afternoon, I went back to my team and said, man, looks like we're going to get a few crows. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but that's really what happened. But from then on, it was a fairly rapid journey. We met our second anchor investor through, through Charate. They were in LP there, Vertex Ventures. Um, we were in the Microsoft Accelerator. Uh, Cisco discovered us through the Microsoft Accelerator. So our next round, which was a $6 million round, was uh, Charity Vertex, led by Vertex. IDG participated Charity, and uh, Cisco Investments came in after the round had been closed, essentially. But we all believed Cisco would be a great partner. And then I moved to the US, uh, and how I raised my next round is a bit more of a story, but that's essentially how we started our journey.
0: Awesome, man. So you and your people were thinking about your customers, customers. But who were your initial customers, and how you acquired your customers? Any strategies you followed?
2: Yeah, yeah. Our very like our very first set of customers we acquired in a way that I would never, ever, ever recommend anyone to acquire customers. <laughs> so, so people like there are some startups that I've worked with, and I always tell them that channel partners and this and that is just an absolute waste of time. Very early in your life, right? When your product has has pulled demand, channel is great. When you have when a product is still in push mode, channel is a very, very bad idea, right? It seems like a really good idea in theory. Everything about the theoretical construct of having a partner in Brazil or Colombia looks like a great idea because you're not going to go there, right? Um, and yet someone's trying to sell for you. It seems like good. it's a really bad idea. So our first few customers actually came through channel. Uh, one of my really close friends who's still one of my best friends, he was in Qatar and... Uh, he essentially said, Hey, you know, we resell a lot of foreign technologies and your idea seems good. We had a first order before the product was ready. In fact, before the company was structured and all of these things were done, he like sold the dream, uh, uh, and, and that was in Qatar. Okay. And then through network, we got this network of resellers in a lot of Southeast Asian countries. But that was such a humongous mistake. The amount of time I spent in unraveling. The the like what happened with the wrong kind of partners coming. The time we spent chasing deals was was, was incredible. But our first uh, enterprise deal in in the world actually came when I was staying at a friend's house, and my friend's sister said, "Oh, what are you doing? I heard you're doing a startup." And I said, "This is what I'm doing." And she worked for Titan Fast Track, Fast Track actually then. And then when I said what are you doing, she said, "You should come meet my boss because you know we are also thinking about X It was random, totally random. And next day I went up to them, went to their office and I pitched and they liked what they saw and they're still a customer. Like this is in 2014 and we're talking 2021, they're still a customer, right? So like very ad hoc, like there was, whenever I counsel people now and I say this is how you structure your sales and you structure your marketing, I always tell them that I didn't do any of these things till like year two or three of the startup, right? So, So I don't say learn from my journey because it's the wrong lesson to learn. It's learn from the mistakes of it, right? So, the first few customers, as I said, was all like ad hoc, looked left, looked right. My co founder uh, knew a few people to whom he had sold the uh, concept of the idea. He went back to them, they came on board. They were primarily restaurant chains and salon chains. So, our early customers were restaurant salons, Southeast Asia based, uh, partner reseller driven. Ultimately, we were not doing any of those. Um, when we did scale, we didn't have FNB and hospitality. We weren't Southeast Asia and we want at least South Asia focused and we definitely weren't doing business with partners right all of that changed in, in the next 24 months
1: amazing and then you went on to get airlines and all kinds of industries right
2: yeah then we realized that any industry like the, there's two or three and again these are all homegrown philosophies I have many homegrown philosophies I, I believe that if you look at industries like banking financial services right or services industries telecom airlines right? The, the currency is service, right? Uh, because all banks have this, like all banks have the same interest rate while you do business with one over the other. There's trust, there's service, whatever. And also we realized that the execs in these companies are very left brain, right? Very analytical, want to see data a certain way. And we found those industries listen to your pitch which, with much more empathy, right? So any industry which was looking at disruption, looking at churn, had a lot of you know, people coming and disrupting the business had left brain leaders. Uh, uh, If you put a lot of the service was the currency, you put all of that together, you could extend it to any industry. So banking, financial services, airlines, telecom, and these industries ultimately became our largest consumers. I think 80, 90% of our business is these.
1: So you you did you mentioned uh, cisco was already you know in your investment kind of uh, this thing and uh, so how did the uh, cisco acquisition happen when did it happen and whatever details you can share with us
2: yeah i'll, I'll try to share as much as i can uh, without <laughs> getting myself into trouble so first of all you have to understand the cisco investment happened um in spite of me not because of me and i'll tell you what that means so so we were in microsoft accelerator and we got a call Uh, from the people at Microsoft saying, hey, we had a demo day, right? At the end of the accelerator, you have a demo day. Uh, And some people who don't make it typically get a list of startups and say, you know, send me the list. So they said, hey, Cisco uh, Investments wants to talk to you. And I said, oh, Cisco makes routers and switches and all that. I said, okay, we'll talk. I mean, Cisco is Cisco, right? Who who doesn't talk to Cisco? You'll take that call. So the call came. uh, I remember this gentleman who used to run Cisco Investments in India. He called and said, Blah blah, you know we we like what you're doing, and I'm like, listen, I have to ask. You make routers and switches and all of that. What's your interest in a SaaS customer experience company? He said, you know what, I'm going to send you a link. Why don't you click that link and then you call me back? Yeah, sure. So he sent me a link, and that's when I realized that Cisco's the world's global leader in contact center you know, technologies and customer experience. And I and, and I put my, my uh, you know head in my hand. I'm like, how ignorant are you, you know? So I called him back and I said. Obviously I'm ignorant, but you know, yeah, I can see why, why you're interested, right? Um, and that's how the Cisco And of course, long story after that. So it happened, as I said, in spite of me, not, not because of me, but what happened after that was we, and this is something I tell all founders, right? Having a strategic investor, to a good strategic investor, very fortunate to have Cisco. A good strategic investor on your cap table does not preclude your uh, acquisition options, okay? but enhances it. And, and what I mean by that is they don't put restrictive provisions, right? Otherwise, strategic can close it, right? If, if, if strategic has clauses which don't allow anyone else to acquire you, then they've killed your company's destiny, right? So Cisco has really good model of engagement with, um, with, this, with the startups it invests in. So one of the things we did was we had um, not just somebody from Cisco Investments on, as an observer, we also had someone from the business unit. So early on, we were very close to the business, right? Uh, and we worked with them on, we, we were able to show them what we could do together. Once we understood the Cisco business, we realized that the, the contacts in the business is actually becoming a customer experience business, right? Um, and we positioned what a joint, very tightly integrated product would look like, right? What synergies it would have and go to market and so on and so forth. So that's roughly what we did. We had strong exec connects at Cisco, We had pitched the joint vision, right? And in large companies, you can't just keep on integrating products into your suite just because you've invested in them, right? So we were not deeply integrated yet, but there was a lot of demand for what we were doing in Cisco's base. At that time, we actually got an acquisition offer from another company. And, And as part of our Cisco agreement, without going into too much detail, we had to at least give them notice that, hey, we're getting acquired. We have an acquisition offer, you know, and some whatever. So we informed Cisco, that there's a strong acquisition offer on the table, and we had a real good relationship built on trust with them, right? And and we told them it is very attractive, and we are looking at exercising that option, right? So when we when we decided to when we did that, they came back and they said we've had a conversation with the execs, and we are also interested in acquiring the company. So we had you know without running an outbound process, we had three potential acquirers, which became four later, another fourth came inbound. Um, and, and the, the thing that tipped it for us for Cisco, obviously you know we had a commercial negotiation and all of that. But I'd spent three years meeting lots of Cisco execs. We knew a lot of rank and file, right. And when we looked at which place will our company go in and grow the fastest, right? Um, we looked at Cisco and we said that's probably the right home for us and also culture. Like, um, I mean I don't know how much I can share, but like today with COVID, the, the number of things Cisco has done for India employees, right? Is stellar, and I tell my team, guys, as Cherry standalone, we'd never have been able to do the things Cisco is able to do for employees, you know, impacted by COVID. So the 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 final icing on the cake was the cultural alignment, wherein we felt that our teams who are very entrepreneurial and you know ownership driven will find a home at Cisco, which will be good for them. So a lot of these things, you know, you don't know which of these factors brings together an acquisition. Some details I obviously can't share, right? but really strong strategic alignment, right? They knew that bringing us in would enhance the game. In fact, today, the business I'm in is called uh, the Webex Customer Experience Business Unit, right? So you can imagine how far the business has come from being the contacts in a business to the Webex Customer Experience business, right? So this everyone saw that vision. Uh, there was strong cultural alignment, right? And we had really strong exec connects and people generally felt that this was a team that looked good and do well and accelerate the rate of growth at Cisco. And I would think that those are the factors that contributed to the acquisition.
0: Super, Vinod. That's that's really uh, great to know. So uh, after the acquisition happened from Chennai to CA, uh, what changed and do you miss home? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: <laughs> so I actually moved to California end of 2016. OK, I, when I moved there, we had one US customer. OK, so I like we had one US customer in Arizona never met them, uh, no team, no network, no nothing, right? Uh, I hadn't lived in the US previously. So it was really hard, I'll be honest. So it's pretty scary because the moment you come to the US and then you hire four or five people, you realize your burn goes up so much. Uh, and then you think you've raised $6 million and it's already five by the time you start counting. And then you hire a few employees in the US and, and you're one of those too. And then suddenly you look at your runway and say, man, this is a shorter, like, I I didn't think, I didn't know how I would spend that money when I was in India. And now that I'm here, I don't know how I'll save it. So um, it was, I'll be honest, it was definitely a very uh, uh, scary journey because you bring your family, you tag them along, right? You've now married their destiny to yours. um, And then you come in and I'll be, I'll give you a real example, very deeply personal. So, you know, you come in and say, okay, you have to be very frugal. So we'll buy stuff from Ikea. And then, you know, they have an assembly service. Like, no, no, I won't use the assembly service, right? Because you don't want to spend money. And then I was assembling furniture one day. And then I paused for a moment and I said, hold on, why the hell are you here? Right? You're here to build your business. Then next, what are you doing with your time? Assembling furniture. Okay. How stupid are you? (laughs) So I immediately called the assembly service and I said, the money you spend on that is okay because... A day that you as the founder of the company who's establishing your presence in the U.S. spends assembling chairs and tables is about the worst way to spend your investor's money, right? And your time. So I really realized that, look, you've got a limited shot at going for glory, right? And you have to really choose how you spend every single moment. You, do you want to be screwing uh, chairs to uh, tables, right? Or do you want to be using that time? Because it took me one, one and a half months To woo, entice our first employer to join us. Right. And every minute I spent on that pursuit was worth it. Right. So I started putting a greater premium on only doing what only you can do and the reason why you are in the US. Um, And that was definitely very, but I'll be honest, it was definitely a very scary journey, knowing that the cost of you just, um, it's like you're, if you're on the first floor balcony, you know, you'll fall only that. And suddenly you took a lift and you're now on the 12th floor or some notional number now the cost of failure is potentially fatal and that definitely weighs very heavily on you you
1: know and uh, specifically in terms of like you know i know you guys said you had a very strong culture and you know had a lot of fun environment at work in uh, chennai and you know after the acquisition what's changed in terms of the actual day to day work you know is cloud Cherry continuing business as usual acquiring customers and growing as a business or have you had to like you know uh, adjust yeah
2: so so, when I first came in, to be honest, when you, when you come in as an acquired CEO, you know, you're a bit of a, uh, like, your product leader is a great crowd, cloud product leader. So, everyone wants him, right? Your, your head of customer experience, she's like, she's a domain expert. Everybody wants her. So, suddenly, as a founder, everyone's, you know, subconsciously thinking, what do you do with this guy, right? <laughs> is he used to working? What's his story? So, it can be a mixed bag how founders do in companies, right? Thankfully, I came in and I really fit into the leadership team here, right? Um, I came in, when I came in, we had not spent much time defining my role. So I was a chief evangelist, which, you know, in many companies, chief evangelist is actually a very, very critical role. But, you know, we just created that and I could have well uh, lived a KPI free life, right? But I think very soon, we came in, a new GM took over the business and we sat and we Um, and he said that, look, go to market is what I want you to run, right? That's when I was the chief growth officer, so to speak, and now I'm the chief operating officer. And what happened with me is a reflection of the team. So Cloud Cherry did both. It is still my engineering team, product team, customer success team still act and sit as Cloud Cherry, still reporting to me. But many of these teams are also aligned with the leaders. So my product leaders aligned to uh, the business units product leader, right? That's the only way you can drive synergy. So the things that need to be kept ring-fenced are still ring-fenced. The things that need to be harmonized, like sales teams. Sales teams started reporting to sales leaders very early. right? That's the only way you can drive sales synergy, right? So dependent on the teams, right? So I still uh, quote-unquote run Cloud Cherry, right? We still run standalone. But what's since happened is that I've taken on a much broader mandate within the business, right? um which takes a lot of my time so honestly i probably spend 80 85 percent of my time on broader cisco stuff and maybe 15 maybe 10 to 20 percent somewhere in that spectrum right there's no exact number on 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 cloud cherry so that's less but thankfully my teams are still completely dedicated and focused on cloud cherry Uh, they don't do anything other than cloud cherry stuff so it's a little bit of both to answer your
0: question. Super Vinod. Now we are uh, coming to the right uh, thing that is the motive of this podcast I can say, so what is your advice uh, for the aspiring entrepreneurs or anyone who want to get into a business not only tech anything it can be so what will be your one advice to them
2: so my my first advice is anytime someone breaks their advice down to one or three bullet points or one paragraph don't listen to them
0: (laughs) because you know so by the way
2: that said that said, Ram, I'm a huge believer in cliches. I'll give a small example. You know, when, when you're going through personal trauma, all of us have been in personal some personal pain, right? Bereavement or something. And someone says time heals. It seems like the stupidest cliche. But the reality of life is time heals, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is no greater healer to trauma than time, correct? There's no word I can tell you if you're going through some personal trauma, right? That can make you miraculously feel better. In fact, mm-hmm. the smarter I sound, the more angry you'll get with my words, right? So cliches are true, you know, simple messages are true. But the first is since you ask for advice is be very careful what advice you take, right? Because it is a dime a dozen, right? Um, just because someone successful does not mean, uh, first of all, you have to define success, right? Uh, but just because someone successful doesn't mean they they everything they say is gospel, right? Uh, you should question everything. and And I have realized that the greatest founders I have met Uh, And since my realm of expertise, probably I should not talk about everything under the sun. The greatest founders I've met are insanely curious. Uh, They are very coachable and they have a learner's mindset, right? So, and, and ultimately you use all of that to drive your own conviction and you'll realize that everyone will give advice. Now, if you ask me for advice, Pardas will give you advice, I'll give you advice, your neighbor will give you advice, your postman will give you advice. Yeah, right?
0: everyone for that matter. Yeah, that right? is an
2: easy none, thing. But none of us are accountable for your outcomes. Mm-hmm. Now, you come back to me six months later and say, you know, I did whatever you said for caste. I'll be like, <laughs> <a-?"> <laughs> I didn't tell you to spend all your money, right? So, anyone giving advice is not, A, doesn't have your context. Right. You gave them 10 data points. And now I'm going to tell you these are the three ways to change your life. Right. So I'm huge skeptic of anyone who tries to oversimplify life's learning. Right. Uh, memes are not how the life's great truths are distilled. Right. The, and, and that is why I actually like what we do with Sazgumi, because we're going a level further and saying, hey, if you want to work on your marketing, let's do a two day boot camp. Right. Or a four-five-hour roundtable, right, wherein we go deep down, right, and understand at the at the root how to build, let's say, an outbound marketing program, right. So just be wary of what advice you take. Be insanely curious, um, and ultimately, it is your conviction that's going to help you build your company. Every advice you receive from outside is an input, uh, but that cannot change uh, what you do. Because remember, when if, even if you change basis, my advice. I'm not accountable for the outcome of your actions, right? Only you are. So if you know that, you'll know what to do. Sorry, if that is not the answer you will
1: know. <laughs> Fantastic. No, that, a... is, uh, that is the right answer. That is what we feel. Hmm. Uh, thank you so much, vinod I think uh, anything else you want to say? You know, we we'll leave the stage open to you.
2: Yeah, two things. One, uh, I'll be honest. Like, right now, it's just such an unprecedented time. You know, I flew from the US to India for two and a half weeks because both my parents were down with COVID. Thankfully, they're getting better. I know many other people were and are not so fortunate. Uh, So the first message, nothing to do with business, is this is the time to care. first take care of yourself. Please get vaccinated, right? Don't listen to WhatsApp uh, University news. Please get vaccinated. Please stay safe. Encourage people around you to get vaccinated and stay safe, right? Uh, The best medical treatment you can get today is one you don't need, right? Which means stay healthy Uh, and whatever is possible within your means. I I love the one of the reasons I'm so proud to be Indian is when something like this happens, like the Chennai flood happened or this, like every friend of mine is who has some means is doing something, right? Some are doing home kitchens to deliver food. Some are contributing money. Some are on the ground doing stuff. Some are running volunteer helplines. Some are given 10 rupees, that's it. If you're given 10 rupees, you're better than doing nothing, right? Um, so just be part of the change, right? And be part of helping people. So there's no other message more relevant today than that. But on the business side, like, you know, everyone you know, complains about valuations and startups and this and that. It is really hard to be an entrepreneur. It is really, really, really hard to be a bootstrapped entrepreneur, right? Because you are a thing. It, it is, I forget equally, it is really also hard to be a venture-funded entrepreneur, right? Because you're supposed to grow like a rocket ship. You don't have the ability to grow at your own pace, right? Uh, you, you've taken investor money, you have to grow fast. So any kind of entrepreneurship, the point I'm trying to make is hard. I have incredible respect for anybody who's an entrepreneur. And my paid forward is I'm happy to help any entrepreneur who needs any help or guidance. And if I tell you three things to do to help your business, please call out my bullshit <laughs> because no three three thing, three bullet points can change your life. Uh, but I'm happy to pay it forward. And as you get anywhere in life, please try to pay forward because the greatest thing we can do for our country is to spur more entrepreneurship, create more employment, build IP in India, uh, which I think is the greatest thing you can do. So sorry to sound very preachy on both fronts, but <laughs> those are the two thoughts that just randomly come to my mind. Awesome.
1: Thanks. And if someone wanted to reach out to you, how? what's the best way?
2: LinkedIn. I usually go to events and then people add me on Facebook and I'm like, dude, no, that's not the place. <laughs> that's not where you add LinkedIn. I'm, I, thanks to my big mouth, I'm over committed in terms of time. But please do message me on LinkedIn. I usually respond. Maybe slower than you'd expect. Please know that it is out of no arrogance. I'm genuinely, i am overcommitted to my time and I'm a little stretched, but I do respond to anyone who messages me on
1: LinkedIn. So. And we can vouch for that because we had a hard time catching you on your calendar. Thank you so much, Vinod, for taking the time. Really appreciate it. It was a fantastic conversation.
0: Thank you, Vinod. Was- glad that uh, yeah, we had your time and we are happy to give you 10 minutes back.
2: <laughs> it's my, my <laughs> privilege to be on your awesome <laughs> podcast. So thanks for having me.
1: And that was the story of Vinod and Team Cloud Sherry. What a journey that was from being a sailor in the Merchant Navy to trying out startups and to founding one and focusing on a single problem and getting acquired by Cisco. Thank you for listening to the Summer Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others.